Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best, straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Arganissima, New York. Well, well, welcome back to the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio, Hurricane Age here, new show, new day, new topic, an interesting topic, uh, I would say today, uh, and it's a topic that touches on diversity and the mental health and all the aspects and I guess the, the different nuances that come in with, you know, the, the diversity and the lack of understanding diversity sometimes and, and, and what it does to, to people in general. Um, and so, so with me, I have a, a specialist. Dr. Kimia Nuru Dennis, who is a, a doctor in sociology and criminology. And so she's got a, a deep understanding of this topic and she handles it, you know, for years. And so, Doctor, welcome to the show and thank you for accepting the invitation and really uh, bringing all this new, uh, I guess, views and, and opinion and, and concepts to the audiences because I think. There is, we live in, in a world that these days is very diversified. There's a lot of elements that, that, that you know, there's historic things, there's cultural, there's religion, uh, religion there's so many things. And uh, I work, you know, uh, in, in different parts of, you know, the world. I mean, there's different ways people see culture and some places it's more diverse than others. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, we just had a discussion here in Baltimore. I'm in the, the New York area. So, so we see a lot of diversity in, 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 at a degree, but there are different parts that may not see the same. And, uh, but even within a, a diverse culture, you know, you still have problems and things like that. And there's an impact on the mental state of uh, people. So yes. with that little introduction, Dr. Welcome. Tell us Thank a little bit you. about yourself and your background. Thank you. So I'm Kimia Nurudenis. I'm an activist, sociologist, and criminologist, an educator, and the founder of 365 Diversity. And so I'm born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. I lived in North Carolina for 17 years. That's where I got the doctorate in sociology. I also have a background in criminal justice. And then I was also full-time faculty in North Carolina. And I eventually left full-time academia and moved to Baltimore City. And so now I focus on doing this equity-based work. And my work is based on centuries of indigenous and black activism and knowledge. It's not narrowed to bestseller books and acronyms and, and so forth. Instead, it's an understanding of the full span of thousands of years of health and medicine, sciences, mathematics, just knowledge that goes into all of this work. So I always challenge people to go beyond the quick smidget of hashtags and cliff notes that, that people see and they think that that means diversity and equity work. Well, listen, there's a lot of stuff you just 
told us right there. <laughs> and yes. I'd like to, to really deep dive on a lot of it. So, so yes. three, uh, uh, 365 Diversity, uh, is that a company that you, you have started or is that a, uh, what is that exactly? Is that a company? Yes, I started this. Yep. So I started the company and it is my two models are discuss diversity daily and not your typical diversity training. And I started this years ago because after sitting through years of diversity trainings and then the acronym DEI started being used and then DNI and then anti-racism and it all was the same thing. It was pretending to be addressing problems, whether it's in medical and health whether it's in suicide prevention, whether it's with police departments, schools, they were pretending to address the problem, but it was 100% created by white people for white people, as you're looking at race specifically. It wasn't about making changes, it was about giving white people a to-do list and white people could say, I attended the training and now we're cool and let's not discuss it again. And for me, when I developed this consulting work, because uh, first and foremost, I do community work and, and I always want students to do community work first and foremost. But after I just started sitting through all these trainings, I just was like, this is, it's 100% meaningless. They're not doing anything. They're not changing school curriculum. And I also created an academic program. So I know how to create curriculum how to choose books, how to make sure there's demographic and cultural representation in library materials and book materials. And so I tell people, these are real changes that can happen. And these are changes that have been demanded for generations and centuries and thousands of years, depending on the topic. Mm -hmm. And so I just challenge people, get beyond just rambling and running your mouth. Let's make some real changes. And guess what? Changes are always going to make some people angry. So if you're one of those people who needs everyone to be happy around you, you're not interested in equity and justice. So that's just the foundation of my business is based in this work that people have been doing long before me. And I'm just adding to it and doing my part in my lifetime. It's pretty strong work and I think valuable and needed, much needed. Uh, and and so so before we go further in there, I just wanted to just for the audiences. I mean, we use a few terms. Uh, one being sociology, uh, the other one's criminology, and then the other one is diversity. And and again, these are very big concepts. Um, you know, and and I know you have the background to 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 kind of define these in a very you know uh, easy way to 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 make people understand that the the logic and the the connection between all those and and how that serves your business and and your mission. So so sociology, I, I'm assuming, is the, the discussion or the the study of the society and the intricate stuff that happens in society. And again, yep. that's just my humble definition. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, diversity is the the, the difference, the ability to have differences in, 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 I guess, cultures and races and so on and so forth, now religions and all different beliefs. Again, again, that's another simplified version of what I would think, you know, diversity is. Uh, and then obviously criminology is, is you know, the, the, the study to, to go against crimes and, and be able to, to figure those things and, uh, you know, and crimes. So, so these are like the, the basic definitions that I would give, but, but coming from, you, from your background and, and you're really you're the professor in this, this, these subjects, what would you, how would you just classify those, define them and also connect them? 
Yep, so sociology and criminology are social sciences, meaning we are studying societies. We can do it from a global perspective, local, national perspective. And we're looking at trends and patterns of behavior. And we make generalizations, which are not the same thing as stereotypes. So for example, we can look at individual level. So like when I do qualitative data, looking at black mental health, that is where I interview individual black people which is different than if we're looking at, for example, secondary data where you can be looking at a huge data set and crunching a whole bunch of numbers and looking at thousands of people. I prefer the qualitative data where we're actually talking to people and observing people's individual level needs, but it is also important to find larger patterns of behavior. So that's, there's a whole lot that goes into that. So when we talk about sociology, it is this, this, we call it the science of societies, the science of individual, the science of people. I always tell people when I hear people say things like structural, systemic, systematic, that's people, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's, it's important to highlight how these are people because so often when we're talking about racism in particular, people have gotten accustomed to using these abstract terms that sound almost like they're colorblind, like this systemic racism. And I'm like, okay, so let's go ahead and get detailed. White people created racial categorizations a little bit over 500 years ago. And the purpose of that was to throw tens of thousands of years of billions of identities and people into these narrow categorizations. It wasn't based on scientific data so much as it was based on physical identifiability and lumping people together for the purpose of ownership as well. That's part of slavery, Christian missionaries, colonialism, that still is happening 529 years later. And so that's how it's important to explain sociology is not just theory, we're not just concepts. Mm -hmm. We are also looking at observable information about people. So we include teachers, researchers, activists, people who work on policies, there's some sociologists who are also politicians. We literally are everywhere because you have to know the world as much as possible in order to say you're impacting the world as much as possible. So that's sociology. Criminology is within that subfield because we're talking about not only crime in terms of the law, because laws do vary locally, nationally, around the world, mm -hmm. but just overall people's behavior that can be considered illegal and it can be considered deviant in terms of going against what's considered normal. And normal is very subjective because it varies over time and it varies by cultures and it varies around the world. It can include language. It can include style of dress, how you do your hair. It can get you labeled and ostracized as potential criminal in some environments. And I do have a background in criminal justice and criminal justice is, includes theory and concepts but it's also that practical application. So when I got my master's in criminal justice, I was in classrooms with police officers, attorneys. One of our professors worked for, was it ABC, the alcohol, tobacco, all mm -hmm. those people who, ATF, yes. ATF, and yeah. so he used to have the firearms on his um, waist when he taught the courses. So it was, it's more that practical application where you learn about jurisprudence and everything. And so that's sociology, criminology, criminal justice, and diversity. 
is not the same as inclusion and equity. So a lot of times people will say this is a diverse space, but then I always say, well, whose voices are the voices that are allowed and heard? In other words, you can't tell Black people, for example, we want you here, but then it's just tokenism. So we're there. Like people always want me there because they're like, oh, we've got a Black woman criminologist. Yeah. Then when I speak, they're like, ah, you're just supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, smile for this photo. That's not diversity. That's tokenism. Okay. Um, and it's not inclusion and equity because you're just throwing people in there and the policies and practices and outcomes are still abusive, they're harmful. And that's how it is in nearly every school, nearly every medical health facility, politicians and all of that, definitely police departments around the world. So that's the difference between diversity, inclusion, equity and justice. And this is beyond dictionary definitions as well. Well, I mean, but I think it, it's very comprehensive because to your point, I mean, equity is, is the ability to, I guess, to give everybody the same and not just the same, you know, uh, quantity is really the same value based on what they're, I guess, uh, value themselves, right? What they bring in. So if you're qualified, you qualify. It doesn't matter what position you should have that position, not because of who you are, but because you're qualified, right? Something like that. Does that make more sense that way? Yeah, but that's not how humans have operated for tens of thousands of years, unfortunately. So humans have really, and this is around the world, have never been able to exist without creating not just categories, but also rankings of the categories. It could be something as simple as different eye colors, different head shapes. When in sociology, criminology, criminal justice, we talk about some of the older and very outdated theories and ideas regarding criminal behavior and punishment that included things like, if people look like primates and, and apes, there were researchers who would say, if you have a primate shaped face or look at your skull, those kinds of false ideas of how um, crime can be generated. And so I always tell people to be careful if we're talking about tax paying and voting, be careful what you are supporting because if it's any way related to this falsehood that only certain people are intelligent, only certain people should be decision makers and all that, that's going to thousands of years of inequities that were actually the foundation of European white sciences that are the foundation of the sciences taught in most K through 12 and most colleges and universities around the world. There's still people being taught that that's classical theory or classical science. And they might say it's no longer good theory or good science, but the problem is that that's still the foundation that people are being taught as though European white people and especially European white men are the creators of knowledge. And again, we have tens of thousands of years of knowledges all around the world, including on the huge continent of Africa. And so, when we're talking sociologically, sociology is guilty of that as well. When you go to nearly every undergraduate and PhD sociology program, it's still very much based in you coming from it, barely even learning people like Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois and Ida B. Wells. And so people like myself who created academic programs and created course and courses and taught courses, that's why the onus is on us to challenge that foundation. 
And so I tell that to everyone. If you have any decision-making power and you say you want to make changes, now you got to do it. You got to do it because you can't say you're afraid of being punished because if you're afraid of being punished and you're someone who has decision-making power, then what are other people who don't have that decision-making power supposed to do? Like this, I don't believe in theoretical support. I don't believe in supporting people just because they run their mouth and say they want to do something. We all have to do our part and see how we can make changes. Listen, <laughs> I can agree more than that. I mean, definitely everybody's got a something to bring to the table and we all have to to do our share and again us doing this is part of that you know it's bringing that message out and and sharing with people some of the knowledge and potentially you know shedding a light on something that may not be as clear and that that's why i asked these specific questions in terms of just defining things so at least we understand the 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 background of things because people okay well you know what does she know what do i know right mm-hmm. <laughs> but now we know this is how it works right but so, yeah. so there's a few items that 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 you touch on one is um the diversity or the cultural diversity trainings. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I have actually I attended a few of those myself throughout corporate, <laughs> you know, classes and things like that. So HR, you know, gets you these things because you have to to be, you know, uh, I guess, uh, official and you have to be politically correct on what you say, how do you say it, when you say it, to whom you say it and all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've been in leadership roles. So again, we had different coaching sometimes because you have to deal with staff and things and you have to be able to discern things in certain ways. I had these management management books that, that teach you how to do these things. So, but but to your point, there, you 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 talked about laws and they're subjective because they change and it's just policy. I come okay. into office, I can do anything I want. I put a new policy. Someone comes in with different values, different thoughts, and another policy. I mean, yep. Yep. It, it happened in religion. It happens in in, in real world. And and to your point, it's state yeah. level, city, county, every place, uh, and and corporations. Uh, a president goes, the president comes and there's a whole new world of, of decisions making, you know, and yep. uh, how it, it plays. I've actually seen, you know, in the corporate, for example, world where there was there was a movement that we wanted more diversity or, or equity and, and inclusion, as you said, in, mm-hmm. in, in the C-suite level or at least yeah. the senior level of management. And so so how does that look? Is it just because the other folks may be able to give an opinion or there's a, a true representation at the table of all these these types of, you know, uh, uh, I guess, uh, backgrounds. And so, yeah. so that, that's kind of like, you know, but but it's to your point, it's not always the case. Some companies are moving towards that. Some companies are doing it just as a, as a visual effect. <laughs> and, and I call it that way just for what it is. And then some people are doing it genuinely because they believe that, you know, we're, we're in the 21st century. It's a little different. We can do better, right? But, but there's so much of, of that big um, span between the two elements. There's one extreme this way and the other here. So that's, that's actually the true situation today. And again, uh, you are one of the pioneers or you are one of the activists in this world doing the right work to, to change the minds and to change through education and, and sharing these things with folks. So, so the, the diversity or the, these trainings, as you said, they have the aspect at least they appear to be, you know, uh, sharing that difference. Like, you know, we all are equal and there's this and that and everybody. But to your point, when you start highlighting a particular, let's say, race over the other, and we have to treat it, you know, with more specific, you know, uh, wording and things like that, you can't say this, you can't say that. Like, ultimately, to me, it defines, to me, that says that there is some sort of a difference. Uh-huh. I shouldn't be I shouldn't be addressing, you know, this group different than this group because I or I have to say this or be careful with this group versus this group, because to me, 
they should be all addressed the same way. If I have to talk about, you know, with someone, I should be talking to all humans equally, right? So that's just my personal opinion, but, but that's not how it is. And so I've seen this in some of the trainings. So what do you, um, first of all, what do you contribute that to? And then, and then what are some of the solutions that you've seen or applied, you know, to date uh, in terms of these, these, these platforms or these, these methods of, of I guess, uh, inclusion or diversity trainings? Okay, well, first I'll start by saying that 99% of schools, organizations, and businesses that say, and this includes corporations that say they're doing this work, are not doing the work. So I always want people to think critically about how they define success. If you say we are the one company that's really doing it, this is when I break it down and I say, well, tell me the demographics and cultures represented in the decision makers. What are the demographics and cultures represented in the people who are creating the policies and practices and who are doing the annual evaluations of the policies and practices? Who's represented in HR? Because HR is not there for the employees or for the communities. HR is there for the company and legal protection. So in other words, it's not enough to just say your company is successful because nearly every school and nearly every organization and nearly every business will say, we reach everyone when you ask them who they reached. We're here for everyone as though they're a neutral and objective resource. And I say, actually, we have GIS coding data for the cultures that you actually reach in that city. And you'll find specific groups that are being reached. So, and companies know how to know who they're reaching, right? That's part of their revenue. Mm -hmm. They, they, if you're looking particularly for profit that doesn't include any form of equity, you know where to find the people with money and you know that they are proportionally white people. Chambers of Commerce have GIS coding data in most cities and most states. So that's why I tell people, don't pretend to be ignorant of the demographics and cultures you're reaching just because an equity expert asks you that. Because you talk about it when you have y'all meetings. You just don't expect to be asked that as pertains to equity. You expect to only be asked that as pertains to recruiting new employees and making money. So that's where we have to have those honest discussions because people know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Inequities, injustices, disparities are not based on cluelessness and ignorance. It's based on most often deliberate actions that have obvious outcomes and they keep going for schools and businesses and organizations until they can no longer get away with it. Well, you know, we're talking about just the, the local stuff, or at least the, the practices today, but you mentioned history and you mentioned the concept where this is not new, uh, whether it's, you know, it's always been, there's a, an elite group, an elite country, a specific area, geographic area that, that kind of like takes over everybody else. And then everybody else is pretty much subjected to those, you know, uh, particular groups. So whether in Europe, we had the British Empire for, for many years, we had the Romans back in the days, and, and, and it never stopped. I mean, even the US, I mean, the history of the US, I mean, we had a few elements. I mean, we had a civil war that re revolved around race, right? We had the, the natives that were here and, you know, kind of Pretty much wiped out for the most part, you know, over the centuries, you know. So, so that is that is twenty nine years. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, when we talk about who controls the world, it's white people. Despite white people being eleven percent of the population in the world itself, USA, Canada, and Europe, who racial identifies white predominantly, control the world. 
So that's why I tell people stop using phrases like first world, second world, third world. Those are phrases created by white people for the purpose of terrorism, colonialism, religious missionaries, and economic oppressions around the world. And again, with Africa being a huge continent with many nations and cultures and thousands of years of various religions and spiritualities, it's a very controlled continent intentionally. Well, I, listen, I come from Morocco. Uh, we, we were a colonized country uh, just, just, just before I was born. I mean, it, we had barely just had our, you know, independence a few years before that. And, uh, you know, that was the French colony and uh, colonization as well as the Spanish colonization. As a matter of fact, even in the country right there, there are two, two cities right now still uh, under the Spanish, you know, uh, control. So, in, and to date, they still have debates about the, the, the Western Sahara and all the stuff. And as a matter of fact, today is, uh, they celebrate over there the, 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 the throne, the, 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 the throne, the, the, the celebration of the throne for the yeah. king. So, so, so to your the point, king, that, right? the king, yeah. So I'm giving an example, but you're right. I mean, historically, uh, again, you talked about knowledge and, uh, you know, um, people that had great, uh, in, in, a poor, a great, um, contribution to the world mathematics and stuff like that a lot of them came from africa and you know another part it's not Asia the and indigenous mathematics exactly uh -huh. you know i mean like uh, it's, a, it's a it's a funny thing but like uh, there's a debate about what is the where was the oldest university and believe it or not i mean at, at least historically speaking that today it it is an actual in faz morocco and and mm -hmm. it was created by a woman and and but that's 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 a knowledge that that pretty much not being taught every anywhere, right? You know? uh, but right. I, an example. But you, I, I'm just can give I can give examples about Morocco because I know more about it. But but you're right. There's there's more. Whether it's Egyptians, whether it's in, in Central Africa, whether it's South Africa. There's you know Africa as 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 was the hub for a long time before you know things. I mean in the I guess dark ages. Well, not dark ages, but but in the, before the Renaissance, right? You know Europe was really not in in a good shape and a lot of knowledge came from the middle east at that time in north africa uh and that's just how we went i mean the uh the moorish and or the uh the uh, islamic uh you know culture at the time has contributed to some of that you know uh, knowledge but it's it's been crazy but you you talked also about racism you know and, and i know we talked about white versus black but but really it's white versus everybody or or any color or any type of of uh you know i guess person right um the word racism itself is is a I think there's a bigger definition to that and and and, and I'm not sure if there's a, a specific definition in the society sociology that you have you know pretty much been able to present uh you know as we all know what it is but but what no, is the no. actual definition most people don't know most people well, do not know what racism is so please go and give us that juice. <laughs> yeah so most people use dictionary definition of racism and again that's when we talk about white categories 500 years ago, white people created racism, white people created white power. All of this is still very active locally, nationally, and internationally for 529 years and ongoing throughout our lifetime. So not most people do not know the meaning of racism. They use white people's dictionary definition that equates racism to prejudice and bias, which falsely depicts anyone can be racist if you have a prejudice or bias. And so instead, I am among centuries of black sociologists who go based on power dynamics. And we're talking about white power because when we're talking about 
white people being the racial power majority, and this is white people of every ethnicity, every nation of origin, every religion, every spirituality, and every identity in addition to whiteness. White people created this, therefore white people are the top of that hierarchy as it pertains to race and racism. And so when we're talking about tension between black people and brown people, so tensions within indigenous and black people. So, you know, we talk about the origins of black people being on the Western hemisphere before transatlantic slavery and through transatlantic slavery. We also talk about how people such as myself have indigenous people in our extended family throughout this time. So there's also tensions between black and brown people, like tensions between black communities and Asian communities because of intentional city design. And, and that also ties into USA military. And it's a whole lot that goes into all of this. Mm -hmm. So even when we're talking about tensions between black and brown people, when we're talking about anti-black in China and Japan, because most black face products are made in China and Japan, when we talk about that, that's something that really can be tackled but it's not the same kind of racism as racism done by white people, but it is a result of racism done by white people. Because when we're talking about anti-Asian, anti-Black, anti-Indigenous, anti-Hispanic, anti-Latin, Latinx, Latine, Latino, that's all to go into that white hierarchy. Islamophobia, I mean, right? <laughs> Islamophobia. So whenever Canadians, and notice it's usually white Canadians, Rarely do you see black and brown Canadians say, oh, y'all got problems in USA. Good thing Canada's awesome because we actually have more than a century of work. You can see old images of menstrual shows. You can see blackface products sold in Canada. You see protests, trainings, workshops, Canadians, indigenous Canadians. You see signs and protests to get rid of Islamophobia. All of that is rampant in Canada. When we talk about universal health care in Canada, it still contains socioeconomic disparities and racial and ethnic disparities, gender disparities. So it's usually white people who pretend Canada has it figured out. And the only data they have to prove that is because Canada got rid of transatlantic slavery before USA. But getting rid of transatlantic slavery, as with USA, does not mean you got rid of white power and racism. It means it just changed forms. And of well, course, now the news, news story with the indigenous, unfortunately, the indigenous people stolen and bodies being found under schools. These are things that indigenous wow. people have said forever in Canada and USA and parts of the Western Hemisphere. So, so this is all part of it. You were going to say something, though. No, no, what I was going to say is the, uh, the, the concept of uh, like white supremacy, as you said, or, or just, you know, uh, white privilege and, 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 you know, that, for example, the, the case of the Nazis and the Holocaust, right? I mean, that's yeah. anti-Semitism, right? That, that was a biggest, you know, one of the biggest events that, uh, you know, also occurred, you know, just, just a few years back. I mean, we're not even talking over a hundred years here, right? And, and, but it, it, that thing has, has been the biggest event and it's been addressed to a degree. Nowhere to date, I think the problem has been solved and or it is going to be solved anytime soon. And I think I think the work that you do and the work that a lot of other folks are doing to bring this, you know, up and, and about to the people and, and sharing it with the folks out in the communities. I think that's actually, uh, uh, you know, an important piece of work. And uh, I know that you have the satisfaction to see that because I'm sure you see some results, at least uh, 
in the parts that you actually are touching um, and, and the organization that you're working with. And, you know, so that leads me to the question. You know, we talked about racism is really white versus, you know, black or everybody else because it's about power or at least, you know, uh, white power. But, but so you talk to somebody that is white and they'll tell you, well, I'm not a racist. I love everybody. So how do you deal with that? How, how do you, you know, kind of come back with that one? With that one? I, I don't come back. I, I don't waste time debating individual white people. So I don't call individual white people racist. So if a white person says I'm not racist, I just say all white people contribute to white power and white supremacy. And that's regardless of political party, voting patterns, and everything else. And when white people say they're not racist, again, they're using the dictionary definition that's based on prejudice and this notion of kindness. And we have to remember, most philanthropic organizations that are wealthy and give around the world are led by people who are descendants of slave masters or European immigrants who benefited because they were able to assimilate into whiteness. Like when we talk about how the Irish became considered white. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I don't waste time debating with white people. It doesn't matter where I go, um, Irish, American, I'm not really white. So what you said is wrong. Or white Jews will say, I'm not white. And I says, Judaism is not a race neutral identity. Jews include African Jews, Jews include Middle Eastern Jews. Jesus was Jewish and not white. Most synagogues in the United States of America are white for a reason, whereas when you go around the world, you'll have entire African synagogues. So that's what we in sociology call colorblind racism. So I was going to ask that. Yeah, it's colorblind racism, this false colorblindness where white people, including white liberals, white progressives, and white anti-fascists are more concerned with saying, I don't see race. And they think that me as a black woman will be distracted by that and pretend that racism is somehow just mysteriously happening. Like, huh, despite everyone smiling at each other, there's still disparities in schools. There's still medical and health disparities. 529 years of medical racism and scientific racism before, during, and after COVID-19. There's still police practices. There's still this prison system. There's still workforce development programs that are designed to keep particularly indigenous and black people and so forth out. Mysteriously, this happens despite all these white people supposedly loving everyone. I don't play that game with white people. And it's an intentional game because that's the whole purpose of distraction, the goal is to distract you so that you think the problem is either in our imagination or again, like I said earlier, they'll use terms like systemic, like Mm -hmm. I'm not racist, it's systematic. Like these are aliens like alien versus predator movie and they're just throwing (laughs) racism at us, like hello. Or they'll say, we all take part in this. And white people love to say, we all contribute to this. Therefore, we all must get rid of it as though black people like myself who've done this work for years don't know how it feels when white people say they want our help and then we get punished for actually doing racial justice work because they wanted our theoretical help but not real help. So that's why I don't waste time 
debating with white people on that. If white people want to learn about what sociologists call colorblind racism, they're welcome to read sociological writings, including Black sociologist Dr. Eduardo Benia-Silver's book, Racism Without Racists, where the older edition, you can find the entire book online. And so I just tell people, don't waste time with those individual level debates because you'll get nowhere and it'll just be an argument and you've just wasted your life. So doctor, the there's a few items I wanted to to touch base on tonight. One is I know you you mentioned police and police departments. Um, you know, so there is some some level of diversity I guess that we see in 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 the police force or the majority of the police forces. But also we have again I I see <laughs> I see your reaction, you know, so at least that's the perception that we see because you know there's an event, you see a little bit of presence. To your point, that could be a show. We could be, you know, uh, it's a question for for the public. We see what we see, but to your point, it could be uh, designed to be that way because that's how we are being kind of uh, manipulated, if you want to call it that way, maybe, <laughs> or at least that's how how we, you know, being educated. But but so we have that, and so so in recent years, obviously, the crime and and you know the the the, the police. Uh, abuse type of thing and so on and so forth and murders and whatever killings all that stuff has been big topic you know in on the news the media but has it really um been at the rate that it's supposed to be i mean certainly the media has has a controllable you know aspect to it so you're not seeing everything not hearing everything and there's the aspect where we can show you what's up like this is a private media it's a little different we can have a discussion but some of the discussions can be taboo on tv or at least in some of the mainstream media right and so so police departments have been trying to to kind of mitigate some of that and i've seen it like in new york city for example i see there is the 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 the, the <clears throat> police forces and then i guess associations is that even making the dent or showing no. it <laughs> okay no so I, now that's why i'm shaking my head no I all right so i spent nine years helping police departments do recruitment for black students for women students and lgbtqia students so some of my former crime students are police officers and there's no such thing as a diverse police department in terms of people's input mattering. Most people, before they become police officers, they have so many hopes that they're going to actually make some changes. That's why a lot of, for example, Black people, Indigenous people, LGBTQIA women, Asians will say, I want to be a police officer. Why? Because I want to not just fight crime, but prevent it thinking they're going to be in communities, thinking they're going to do outreach, and that's not what happens. It's not what happens, I'll say again, because there are people who go into there with a bright-eyed, bushy tail, and they end up behind the police desk on punishment because they're just doing too much instead of complying because they don't, they're not able to change policies and practices. They're not able to change the horrible police training, and they're definitely not able to change the fact that police funding is taken from preventive measures like improving schools, improving medical and health services, improving family services and workforce development. So we have research, decades of research about police brutality when it's black police officers beating black people. In other words, more black police officers oftentimes means that now you have black police who need to keep their job and now they have to comply with the same policies as everyone else. So they will pull you over, give you a traffic ticket, 
Why? Because they don't want to be accused of favoritism for Black people. And in Baltimore City, for example, there have been Black police who've been seen beating Black people in the street. So I don't believe in a such thing as diversity of police departments. I believe there's a such thing as throwing too much money into police departments. And the tokenism is adding women to it, including women police chiefs, adding LGBTQIA people, adding Muslims and Asians and non-white non Hispanic, non-white Latin. And the idea is this falsehood that if we add more people, you all will not notice us whooping everybody's asses. That's that falsehood. Like, oh. If we add more of you all, you won't notice that our policies and practices haven't changed. You won't notice that we still have horrible crisis de-escalation skills training. We still don't know how to reach people who have mental health crisis. We still are not good first responders. I don't believe police should be first responders in the first place. When someone's in a mental health crisis or a substance use crisis, I don't want 911 to go to police. I want it to transfer over to a crisis line for people whose life is in danger for another reason. So police departments, when they add more people from various demographics and cultures, it's not because they're changing anything. It's often because also now they're getting more local and state funding. And that's a huge attempt because Black people have demanded changes to police before it was a formal police department after Emancipation Proclamation, that's when white men with the help from white women got out there without police uniforms and said, we're not gonna control these Negroes. And they went out there and then Jim Crow happened. They had black people having to have a card to prove identity and all sorts of stuff. So this is literally the same thing black people have demanded over and over again. When you see black people who support police who say we need police, it's because of centuries of brainwashing because black people have been told, well, we're not gonna have preventive measures so you better support police or else police are vindictive and they'll disappear and now black people will be on their own and be tortured on their own. So it's, a, it's an intentional process. It happens around the world, but specifically in USA and Canada, it's an intentional process to convince the people who are being oppressed by the police that if you get rid of police or you at least reduce police and emphasize preventive measures, that police will pay you back by being late for 911 calls intentionally. And it does happen. Like there has been no police defunding in the United States of America ever. But in the past two years, police departments have intentionally done things, potentially, such as not responding as quickly to 911 calls. And the purpose is to prove a point like see what happens when we're not there, ha ha ha, you need us. And they'll say, this is what would happen if you defund us, but there's never been a defund. So this is why we talk about dismantling abuse of power because just like with politicians, police departments, medical and health professionals should not have all the power. They should not be able to punish us for using our voices and saying our taxpayer money and our lives should not be in your pockets like that. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Well, so 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 let's let's uh, just touch quickly on a few items there, and then I want to tie in all this into the mental health and and the connection. So so first thing, just just what I understood here, at least you know what's being 
discussed is the, the the fact that what we see is one thing, but what we see is the numbers. What we see is the the facade. But really, they is they they've not really contributed to the decision. The power is still where it is, you know. So that's that's really the, the the main content here, or the main you know thing to to absorb from from this discussion. The other part now now you mentioned like the example of black people, the supporting let's say the police, you know, and all the stuff, right? Which some people say, you know, police presence is important because it prevents crime, blah blah blah. But you know, uh, that's that's still subject to discussion as you mentioned. But now. What work, what efforts are out there to kind of, because like you said, these folks have been conditioned over centuries, over years of this is the way. And now all of a sudden, you know, there's a change in mind. We're trying to re-educate them basically like it's rehabilitation in terms of like think for yourself, this is different. We're in, in a different age, we can make a difference. But people are not there yet. So what measures are out there today to make that difference, to change the minds of the same black people that actually supporting these the, the police and, and all these type of movements that's one question the other one is you mentioned politicians so that's that's the other part you mentioned earlier there are society, sociologists that are in 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 political you know and and uh, i guess uh, uh legislative type of positions right and so is that are there enough of them can they even contribute and make a difference because at the end of the day if the policy changes and there's representation in, in, in the political world, the, the Senate, the city, the councils and all those things, you know, the Congress, that may have a difference. And to your point, you mentioned something about people want to make a difference. So they join these bodies, whether it's the police, the federal, you know, FBI or any other agency or, you know, just become, you know, uh, public servants as, as, you know, in the Senate and so on and so forth, local senates or, or even the, 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 the U.S. Senate. And uh, but but there is representation but it's very limited. And so for, for to date, the limitation or the small amount of people that are representing, let's say the black community in the Senate or the Congress or any state Senate or even cities, you know, uh, you know uh, regulatory bodies, they, not they are not making the contribution that they should. At least the impact is not as obvious to date yet. So, so do you feel, or at least in the studies and, and based on all your research and, and your, your, your work, do you think there is a way to, to move that along, to, to bring it to the next level anytime soon? So two, two, two questions. Yeah, and these are similar discussions that we have at criminology, criminal justice and sociology conferences. So for the first one, police do not deter crime. And you can look at that in every city, including Baltimore City, putting police on a corner, <clears throat> they might come in and stop a fight. They might arrest somebody but this is always the case. People know how to get away from police if people really, really want to. And that, I mean, police intentionally, and this includes helicopters over particularly impoverished neighborhoods that are mostly black mm -hmm. neighborhoods, they are not going to these wealthy areas that are proportionally white. And there are crimes happening in that wealthy areas. And when I say crimes, most crimes are within race. So it's white on white, indigenous on indigenous, black on black, Asian on Asian. People abuse their own family, their own friends. Even if it's strangers, it still, still tends to be people within their same environment. Mm -hmm. So whenever people talk about black on black, yes, there is disproportionate representation in terms of population size, but every racial and ethnic group of people abuses themselves and each other most often, including rape, sexual assault, burglary, kidnapping, and robbery, and murder. So that's important to highlight. So police do not deter that. Mm -hmm. 
no matter what you do, you can put police on every corner and you're still putting millions of dollars into putting police on every corner instead of focusing on, focusing on real deterrent factors, real preventive measures. Like instead of this millions of dollars going into putting that police officer on that daggone corner to talk to people, guess what you can put on the corner? Actual community members who are from the community. And when I say community members, Black people in particular have more than a century of community groups and organizations, religious and non-religious, that have been doing this work to center around improving families and communities. These organizations tend not to last as long because they tend to be nonprofit. They tend not to have money. If they want grants, they tend to be competing against wealthy nonprofits competing for the same grants. And so, and the focus of these organizations is to not be funded by police departments. Because I tell people, if we're trying to reduce the need for police, you don't want a black organization that has funding that comes directly through the police department. Because guess who's they're obedient to the police department. Right. They're not obedient to the needs of the community. It's a, it's a conflict of interest. Exactly. Yeah. They're obedient to the people who have the money, which guess who, if it's the government or the police, that's where the interest is. And so these are just, these are just the same thing that happens over and over and over again. So police are not deterrents. And yes, they can be good to in certain crises, but a lot of people would rather prevent the crisis from happening in the first place because police being there, police love to try to smile and talk and be like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, but here's the thing. If you were in everyday clothes, maybe, but you're in a police uniform. <laughs> so I don't believe in a such thing as community policing. I don't, I don't care how many cookouts and fish fries and basketball tournaments these Black police officers do in United States of America and every city and every state. That's police funding that still needs to be put into communities and not with the police coming here, putting on a basketball uniform. I think that's stupid. You know, and black people used to support these efforts. They were like, yeah, we love seeing police here, connecting with us, hugging us. But now it's like, at the end of the day, they still got the tasers on their waist. They still got the guns. They still send, you know, they still are in control and that includes the black police. So that's the first one. Second one. I don't trust political parties and politicians. So I want communities to focus on community efforts that do not depend on political parties and politicians. I, I mean, black people are some of the highest taxpayers, especially lower income black people pay very high, including property taxes. But I don't believe in relying on these politicians and political parties to really make changes. They really want to keep their job and make a salary, mm -hmm. but their job and salary are also based on ongoing problems. Like we can talk about COVID-19, we can talk about the student loan crisis, we can talk about crime. If these problems get solved, quote unquote, these politicians would feel like they are no longer as necessary to be the rescuers, that they're not being in the first place. So that's one thing I always tell people. Black people were told every election cycle, vote or die, vote like your life depends on it. If you don't vote, never contact me again, that whole nonsense. I, I support black voters, but we also have to realize most black people of voting age 
are either not registered to vote or are registered and do not vote for various reasons. And rather than abandoning Black people and pretending that any political party is, is here really concerned about Black people, no matter how many Black people are in the political party, I want community-based groups and schools to form those collectives to say, we're gonna do this work. Politicians can follow through if they want to, but we're gonna do this work. And we're gonna do financial support for each other. And this is important because black people have pushed for this for centuries. You can think of Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington was imperfect. I have many critiques of Booker T. Washington, but one thing Booker T. Washington is among centuries of black people who have said, instead of depending on those other people, let's really support each other and support ourselves. And those other people can come along if they choose, including politicians. But when politicians, including black politicians see that black people have no other recourse and no other options, politicians know they don't have to do anything really. They can promise, they can spit in our face and then still yell vote or die. Like Joe Biden said, if you ain't voting for me, are you really black? And black people unfortunately thought that was funny, which solidifies centuries of abuse. Why should politicians change if black people are going to convince themselves and each other to be entertained by the abuse that politicians give to black people for centuries? So, so doctor, thank you for, for that explanation. But, but what I was, well, the, I was just trying to get an angle on so so policies right are written by those by those politicians, and you know yes the community can do the work and ideally yes it's always good to to support you to be self supported right you know and and you get your own funding, but but there are dynamics right you know there are limitations to where you can get the funding especially you know if the 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 financial level is limited in certain in, in the community for example right it's hard to get those now, maybe you have some private entities that are, you know, supportive, they can give some funding and, and contribute, but, but there's still policies and things that, that, that do impact the community period, uh, whether, you know, we're talking about police, but there's other things that may be schools, hospitals, you know, the healthcare system, right? Uh, having the right balance of access, uh, you know, what you mentioned COVID-19. I mean, uh, all along COVID, we've seen that there are higher, you know, uh, I guess, fatalities and 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 just infections in some communities, uh, the black community specifically, and and other communities that are minorities, and so so we have seen those things. But if there were fundings that are available, or there's more infrastructure in those areas, uh, things would be different. Well, at least you know I, I I would think that would be the case. But but if the the community is not represented enough and there's not enough push and the policy is not changing, how would that uh, impact the overall efforts that that you are talking about? Well, communities are never going to be represented enough. That's the whole tautological circular logic of centuries that's intentionally done to, to silence indigenous people, black people in particular. It's intentionally done that no matter how much we cry, no matter how much we pro protest, no matter how much we stand in long lines and vote, no matter how many taxes we pay, we're still told at the end of it, don't complain, shut up be submissive and we promise we're gonna keep considering you whenever we feel like making a change. Wow. And that's literally originated from transatlantic slavery. And it's still the brainwashing that these politicians including democratic party keeps selling. 
So that's why I do not condone relying upon politicians and political parties, no matter how polite they are, no matter how many promises they give, no matter how much they put on paper. So we can think about President Barack Obama, who wrote down a whole lot of legislation, but I always have to tell people that's written in paper. That doesn't mean it's actually in practice. Action speaks louder, right? <laughs> right. You can talk about in terms of corporations, right? Corporations are experts at putting things on paper. It ends up in somebody's dusty stink bug office desk or in the basement of somebody's building, right? It's not really happening. But people are just taught to just trust that something on paper actually means something. So if we're talking about funding, yes, but there actually are people who specialize in policies. I am one of those people. There are many people in black communities who literally specialize in writing policy proposals and petitioning to do these presentations for health experts and for politicians. So this is where I tell our people to focus on, focus on working on these policies and presenting them to Congress or whoever you want to talk to. And when you're going in there, yes, their decision does matter, but you, they also need to know that even if you all don't approve this policy at the state or national level, we're still going to do this work in our communities. And funding does matter, yes, but that's why I also tell people to do a trade of expertise. Like you might not have money to give to the movement, but you might have another specialization that you can do. You can be a volunteer in some way. So I always want people, not only Black people, but all people to understand that we really don't have to be as controlled by politicians and political parties as we keep being told we have to be controlled. If we're trying to get rid of the police state, if we're trying to get rid of the military state, we also have to get rid of the politician state because it all goes together. They all control the funding. They all tell you you have to get approval from us. You can't get rid of these establishments and still believe that nothing exists unless they approve. So this is where the multitasking comes in. Local groups working on these policies and there are people who have been doing this for generations, working on policies, presenting it to the politicians. The politicians can do their part, such as when they enact certain disability laws, but the disability laws still require people locally to say, we have this disability law now, so people cannot legally stop us, but it still is up to us to enforce it locally. So that's where the multitasking has to come in. It all cannot be on politicians because they get paid based on our trust and lying to us. Wow. <laughs> I, I am literally just learning a lot. I'm absorbing all this stuff right now. It's pretty cool. I, I'm learning things that I, Normally, you would not pay attention to, you know, it's, it's happening. And just like the majority of us, we just see things, we hear things, we know, we think we know enough, but we certainly never know enough. There's always something new to learn. And, and in this realm in specific, it's there's so much to it. And you've been in, in trench and do this, you know, for years, and this is your mission in life. And, you know, it's just a lot of uh, knowledge and I guess, content. And, and, and so now that leads me to the next question, which is really, uh, two parts again. One is now is let's talk about the, the health, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, in general. Uh, we talked about disparities and healthcare access and so on and so forth briefly. Uh, and and it's, it is a big uh, component in, in the, the, the 
black community. Now, I want to just to, before I do that, just quickly, uh, th this is this is the technicality now. So we're conditioned to not even want to say black versus white. We say African Americans and stuff. Yeah. Now I know that there's a big thing about this particular word. Uh, why is it that you know we cannot say this? We can say this, and that's that's based on those trainings, right? So uh, it it is it is almost like. Uh, nerve-wracking when like do I say it do not want to say it because because you're not sure now how it's going to be perceived by by your audiences right so that in itself I think that has a psychological effect <laughs> you know mm -hmm. because because to your point you're referring white and black right a lot of people will have difficulty stating those two words together or like you know when it's comparative right and and the terminology you know we use African-American now more than we say in black people or, or white people or you know, brown people. Uh, you're comfortable saying because you come from that environment of education and sociology and you understand these terms well, better than most. So far as a sociologist, I come from a black family. So well. <laughs> I don't say African-American. Why? Because black people are among the people who are told to put American behind our identity. And I'm only on the Western hemisphere because of transatlantic slavery. So I'm not patriotic. I don't honor a flag, chants, or songs. So I don't have to put American behind any title because you rarely will see a white person saying white American, even if they're the second generation from Russia, you'll rarely see them say Russian American or white American, including on survey data. So I, I don't subscribe to that social learning process. So I had to ask that question because it's been bugging me, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, but yeah. thank you. Thank you for the clarification. And then on, so, so going back to the, the health, so disparity access, big, big, uh, limited uh, access, period mm -hmm. and out in most of the communities. Um, and that's just the regular healthcare. And then the mental health care, you know, uh, system is even probably worse because there's there's drugs, there's criminal, there's this, there's, there's a lot of effects. Like you said, first responders are cops. Someone is already like, hi, you know, it's a conflict. Now we have a shootout, right? So it doesn't work. Uh, if someone came in with, with, with a different approach, maybe they'll be controlled differently and that person may still, you know, not be losing a life or getting, you know, uh, the life threatened. Sometimes other bystanders can get hurt. So so I agree with, with that concept because you're right. I mean, a, a cop is going to come do the job and then someone's going to react, but they're not in there true state of mind because they're really not there. And uh, so the reaction is just gonna be catastrophic. Uh, but but so those are two areas that are really significant, but definitely limited uh, in the black community. And I think in a lot of other communities specifically. In general, yeah. yeah. You mm -hmm. know, so, so, so and, and, and that's been a big debate as well. You know, we need more in, in the COVID era with the pandemic in the last two years, we've had so many discussions that we heard on TV and so on and so forth about these topics and about, People are not getting access, they're not getting the vaccines, they're not getting even the testing in the beginning was not available in some areas. It was challenging. Uh, and so, so you talked about potentially having more funding into those areas and, and providing those instead of funding, you know, let's say the police and other types of services. Education uh, is another one. Uh, but all this has an impact in the psychology of, of the community. Because uh, and so, so in your studies, in your statistics, I know you're, you're big with statistics and you use those things and you, you got a data for mm -mm, No, we got to get beyond the data, right? Talking to the people beyond the numbers, right? So Fair. beyond statistics, right? Because that's well, the second time you said statistics. Yeah, well, no, so, okay. I listen. Well, no. What I mean, statistics is you. You do your research. I mean, you do look at the demographics. You look at the stuff. Because I'm. I'm just trying to. Uh, so, people. So, yes, I talk to people. Yep. 
Okay. I don't say, hey, statistic number one, how you doing? No, no, I was, I was referring to when you talk to people. I'm, I'm talking about the reports and the data that's available based yeah. on your research. And, and, and again, I mean, the data is coming from direct impact surveys, right? You're talking to someone, you get the mm -hmm. feedback. Based on the feedback that you have mm -hmm. from the people that you interviewed or, or the folks that you work with have interviewed, uh, is there a significant impact that has been, uh, I guess, uh, shared? with you in terms of how this whole racism thing i mean listen racism i think it's it's psychological for everyone when when you don't feel right now i can speak about it personally because i've been subjected to some of it myself because of the religion and my background especially after 9 11 and you know that's a whole different topic we can talk about <laughs> but 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 similarly you know i think overall it has a psychological you walk in you're afraid you're not sure you people look at you the wrong way you know you you just just and also believe it or not when i was a kid I happened to be in, in, in France, you know, a long time ago. And, uh, and at, at the time I have seen signs that says, you know, not, 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 for, not for Arabs and, you know, stuff like that. So I've seen signs when I was a kid that, that really showed racism. I've seen racism in front of my eyes where I saw people pushing a person that doing a work just because they look different and they were an immigrant. So I've seen some of that in real life, you know, and, and when I was, when you're a kid, those things stay with you for life. Right. And, and, and it's happening. So that is a huge impact on the reaction of people, the ability of people to, to, to trust the system, to trust people and do a lot of things. So in your expertise, you know, what, what is the true, you know, um, impact that you see and how you think would that be resolved if any, if anytime soon? Yeah. So, uh, and you're asking in terms of resolving racism, correct? Well, not racism, but just the impact of it. Like, you know, how do we mm -hmm. prevent people from really reacting to it in a way that is psychologically impacting them? You know, can they overcome that in a way that they can still live their life and, and be proactive as opposed to just reactive to, to, to the, the concept? Interesting. So I don't believe in focusing on how people respond to racism. I believe in focusing on dismantling racism. So similar to, the uh, well, similar to if we were talking about homophobia, yep. never would I tell uh, gay people, focus on how you respond. And meanwhile, heterosexuals are being abusive, but mm -hmm. then, you know, people are being told, just ignore those abusive heterosexuals. I think that's a very harmful approach because you have to focus on the source of the oppression so with the work that I do, uh, we talk about mental health, we talk about substance use, we talk about how most people, including people who are of Asian diaspora, Middle Eastern, East Indian, have an almost impossible time finding mental health counselors and support groups that are capable of discussing the impact of racism, beyond just so that includes someone saying something horrible to you but includes policies it includes what happened since 9 11 it includes things like you know airplane policies that change and how people see you and if they think that you might be middle eastern east indian arab asian diaspora similar to COVID 19 now with people nice. of asian diaspora despite all these different nations of asian everyone's like you're chinese and then they're anti-asian because of that it's almost impossible for people who are subjected to that to find mental health counselors and support groups to address that. Why? 
Because a lot of times mental health professionals go based on theory. They use the DSM, the Diagnostical Statistical Model, which of course does not include any of those details. And they don't know how to reach real life people, which is why I messed with you earlier about the statistics thing. Because okay. most medical and health professionals through undergraduate, medical schools, terminal degrees, and throughout the careers, they're taught statistics, they're taught to memorize information, they're taught to look at prescriptions information. But when it comes to talking to people, they lack community patient advocacy. And that includes for their own people. So like you mm -hmm. might go to an East Indian counselor and say, I'm being mistreated because of my religion, because of my ethnicity, because of my language of origin or my family's from in East India. And even if the counselor is East Indian, they might still use a very European white based form of mental health treatment for you that might include, well, how are you handling it? Right? Yep. What do I have to do to help you to detach from this? Do you need some stress-free spaces? Have you thought about walking in the park by any chance, Hurricane, right? <laughs> On one end, you're like, okay, cool. Cause you know, East Indians are among the origins of forms of meditation and forms of sciences and medicines. We're looking at holistic health, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. You know, despite the fact that when you go to nearly every place in the United States of America that sells sage, incense, candles, yoga, it's a bunch of white people, right? But this stuff did not originate from European white people, right? So on one end, you can be like, okay, I can I can meditate, but let, like, let's talk about it for real, for real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because there's actually research that addresses this. But it'd be difficult for you to find a support group that's ready to address it. They might mention it in one sentence to appease you with the expectation that you will now shut up and now let's talk about, or they might throw in some namaste in there thinking that they got it right. Wow. Like namaste with a question mark behind it, <laughs> which is also an example of cultural appropriation too, right? Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes you're you're taught to to make some some cool phrases that make sense to someone just to kind of feel mm -hmm. like like you're you 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 belong there. I mean, I I've yep. seen those happen, and uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. It it does it does kind of bring out your eyebrows a little. <laughs> like, yeah, you're that? like, <laughs> and here's the thing: like we have been taught to just adjust to that because we've been told that there's no other options. So, like, even most. Asian medicine centers in the United States, America, and Canada are created and led by guess what? White people. And I have my eyebrow up now, right? I know. What does it Mine mean too. to go? Yeah, what does it mean to go to Asian medicine places excited that you're like, okay, this is now possibly going to include aspects of my culture. So we can say, you're not just going to tell me to get over racism, but you're also going to say, here's some resources to help address that while we also dismantle racism. And you walk in and it's a bunch of white people. There might be some Asians in there, but the Asians to keep their job will comply with the white standard. And if you try to challenge the white standard, you'll be told you don't understand real mental health work. That's that whole cycle that happens to most black and brown people. And not just in USA, but much of the world in which medicine and health are considered created by white people despite tens of thousands of years, right? 
So that's why when you say how we can address racism in terms of the input and output for ourselves, yes, we do want to focus on holistic, and that's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C and holistic, meaning W-H-O-L, because, you know, this does encompass various aspects of our lives. So for me, the work that I do, I spend a lot of time chilling by myself because I love understanding myself because <laughs> you have, you can't lose yourself and be like, I'm helping other people. So that's that self-healing. Right. And as Black women, we do a lot of free labor trying to rescue the world. And meanwhile, we're struggling with health issues. So I also have a disability. So that's important to focus on myself. I also tell people if we're addressing issues of stress resulting from mistreatment because of your racial and ethnic identity, yes, it's important to meditate, to do some self-healing. If you're one of those people like me, I like to go to mountains. Let's do that. Nice. But then I say, okay, after you make yourself smile, after you spend time with your friends and family, now let's address what you're going to experience if you go back to school and the same thing happens again. If you go back to work and the same thing happens again, or if you get pulled over by the police, hmm. or people use political parties as an excuse to use anti-Arabic or anti-Muslim language, right? Because you can't always be told, if you get called a slur, meditate. That's extremely condescending and insulting, right? No. But we've been told that for centuries. We've been told that for 529 years of white people, that the onus is on us to ignore white people, including when they stalk us on social media and via email and telephone every day. We're told to ignore white people. Ignore them. You're the bigger person. We've been told that since slavery. East Indians, Asian diaspora have been told that since colonialism, right? And so this is why I say we have to really multitask because like I said earlier, when we were talking about police developing community networks. We all come from communities that have developed community networks like Muslims, Asian diaspora have community resources that include building businesses, religious focuses as well. But then the question still comes though, what if we have all of this? And now we need someone to help us to address the problem that's still hovering over us in our life, which includes, of course, business funds. These, these bank loans are controlled by white people for the most part, right? Yeah, I mean, you can you can escape those, unfortunately. Well, well you could, I mean, you could, but... You know, that's the thing, like mortgage loans, bank loans, intentional city planning, all that's mostly controlled by white people. And so that's why I say we can focus on improving ourselves, improving our families and our communities, but we still want to have those discussions about how can we also come together to change who the decision makers are. And that second part about changing who are the decision makers is where there's a lot of tension a lot of times among black and brown people. Because again, so many black and brown people have been taught since childhood to expect the worst from white people and to just move on. And to not just move on, but to mock and ostracize the people within your own culture who challenge white people. Like it always happens when I do this mental health suicide work that I will be in the room with black people who they will allow white people to verbally attack me 
and the black people only speak up to defend the white people. And if the white people cry, especially defend the white people. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm, I'm here. So it's like this idea that white people can essentially hang me from a tree and the black people in this space are more concerned with hugging the white people while I'm being hanged instead of removing me from the tree, making sure I'm okay, and preventing white people from ever hanging a black person again. So that's where that brainwashing is there because most black and brown people who exist in white controlled spaces, including if there are no white people there, but white people still control it. They've just been taught since childhood to focus on our people, let white people do their thing, and then and, and I tell people, yeah, that can work for a while, but when there's failure, you gotta admit the failure is not necessarily your fault because the failure was always happening. It's just now you're really feeling it. Ooh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah. listen, it, it's amazing. I, I, I just glanced at the time and we we, we said we we're gonna do it now. We, we passed the hour and I'm not even feeling here. It's <laughs> just so quick. Uh, yeah. There's so much good stuff here and so much, um, different view of even coming from your expertise and and really you just I mean for me I, I'll have to digest a lot of this because a lot of stuff here that I would not have thought about not listening to you right now and I'm pretty sure a lot of people were probably in the same position like oh it's like a aha moment you know like Eureka you know like wow I didn't think about it that way but but you know it, it does open up your mind to start thinking and I think that's the key is once we start thinking and seeing things so this is like the matrix blue pill red pill right? you get the right pill and you start seeing things um but 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 that's because you said society i mean we are conditioned to a degree and uh we choose to just follow the actual flow and uh over time it becomes routine and you don't even see it anymore just like you clueless uh, and and you know something like this does kind of change your dynamics because Every time you make a statement, you know, my brain's like, you know, going like 200 miles an hour right now, like, you know, just adjusting to, to that whole concept. But some people will absorb it, you know, quicker than others, I guess. <laughs> some people will be reactive to it. But it is, it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you are doing some work uh, in, in your community and you're doing the education and, and, and whatever you feel is necessary to make a difference. Um, and, you know, so again, we're coming to the end of the show. So I do want to really thank you for, for this great session here and a lot of details that probably would be not no knowledge to me because I wouldn't have known about it, you know, otherwise. Uh, and, and, and I think everybody listening will probably share the same sentiment. So, so thank you for that. And again, continue the great work. I mean, you are an advocate, you are, you believe in it, you know, through from the heart and you have your own convictions about it. And, uh, you know, when you're, doing something like that, you know, that you've not only you've done the studies and you've been through the whole process to understand it all and be able to deliver it. You dedicated that time. Uh, you've, you've created a whole concept and, and, and a mission and a company to do it. Uh, so again, I, you know, on behalf of myself and I guess the viewers and listeners, I mean, thank you for the time. Thank you for a great show uh, and a lot of good, uh, you know, unique uh, perspective that we pretty much needed to hear. And so, so thank you for that. Uh, any last yeah. words, doctor? Yeah, well, I appreciate you. And I want everyone to remember the work I do is collaborative. There's been people doing this work for certain topics for thousands of years. For other topics, it's centuries, generations, and decades. So I want all equity people to understand you are 
coming from the work that was done before you even existed. So never do anything that's not based on collaboration. So I want everyone to understand the importance of collaboration and not divisiveness. And everyone can go to my website, 365diversity.com, and they can learn more about the work, my background, and they can see previous podcasts. And your podcast will eventually be up there as well. All right. And also the importance of being able to disagree on certain things without everything being a deal breaker. Yes, there are deal breakers. There better be. But everything cannot be a deal breaker because the people who are directing racism and perpetuating racism they want you to make everything a deal breaker because that's how they make sure you don't collaborate with anybody. You're just by yourself struggling and baffled as to how you can change your reality. We don't want that. All right. Well, so here's the good news. I, the, the description in the description show, I will have the website. So people can certainly uh, click on it and just check out the, the activities, the work, the programs and, and the results uh, that are being done. Uh, so please check out the, the, the site, you know, uh, on the, the, the description of the show. Uh, that being said, uh, folks, this is Eric and H. You're listening to iHealth Radio, watching the iHealth channel with Dr. Kimia Nuru-Dennis. Thank you, doctor, for a great time and for all the information. And uh, for me, uh, ciao, ciao. We'll talk tomorrow. New guest, new show, new topic. Bye now. <laughs>